This episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. Are you constantly struggling with how to function in society? Do you need someone to make you laugh on occasion? Are you wanting to share your thoughts and opinions? Well, have I got a show for you. My name is Garrett, host of Garrett Talks to Himself, a segmented interactive podcast where I do all of these things. Head to anchor.fm slash gtth to subscribe wherever you listen. I'll be waiting. It's the movie that inspired your childhood nightmare. So this is your disclaimer about any possible repressed memories that we unlock on today's episode of that song from that movie. It's nice to see you. To see your nice? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want us to say it? <laughs> Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your scarred as a child host, Dietrich, and we're joined by the man who, like rabbits, always needs tricks, Alex. Yep, definitely. I was given them by Thrith. <laughs> and we're also joined by the man who burns so pale, Ben. Oh my god, that's 100% <laughs> that's the most accurate introduction I've had. I think I'm slowly burning through the double glazing windows that I've currently got. And I'm I'm (laughs) west-facing. He has absolutely nailed you there, Ben, to be fair. He's absolutely done me. Done you. (laughs) So we'll cross over now to the man who's burning with the weather report. I don't want to be known as this kind of person, honestly. (laughs) I'm done. Yeah, it's decent. It's lovely. (laughs) Back to you, Dietrich. How are we all today? Yeah, decent, decent. Good. People have been watching films? I watched uh, the filmed version of Hamilton the other day. Enjoyed it. That's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. It's just so long. You need to get on it though. Yeah, but we watched it for three days. Yeah. <laughs> We've watched it three times now. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and we saw it at the stage show in February as well. So I'm puckered out. <laughs> I am done. Alexander Hamilton. Does that work? Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> A million things I have done, and it's been watching Hamilton. <laughs> watching Hamilton a million times. Does the film version of Hamilton compare to the stage version? I don't really know how it's been filmed. It's exactly the same. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a filming of the live show. Is it like yeah. a proper filming of it, or is it like that terrible 25th anniversary Les Mis where they just walk on stage with <laughs> things happening in the background? No, it's a proper filming. It's not like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't right. have Joe. Uh, Nick, was it Joe jo- Nick Jonas? It doesn't have Nick, Nick Jonas, Jonas in it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's like a proper filming of of a live performance in on Broadway. I think. Cool. I must say the version. I just don't like Lin Manuel Miranda's voice. It's very nasally. It's, just, it's very nasally. <laughs> the, guy, the guy we well. saw was much better. Yeah. Would it be better with Nick Jonas? Um... Uh, what wouldn't be? <laughs> <laughs> the film we're talking today that would be better with Nick Jonas. Anything would be better. Anything. Not anthropomorphized. Just. <laughs> just just in it. it. Yeah. <laughs> like Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh. There's Nick Jonas with the rabbits. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> just reacting. <laughs> Grounds the animated characters. Yeah, just live action as well. Like um Brad Pitt in Cool World or Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Or Bob Hoskins in uh, Who Framed Roger, <laughs> Roger Rabbit. Rabbit, yeah. Today's episode is Bright Eyes by Atgard Funkel from the British animated movie Watership Down. So to find out what happened what was happening in the world when this movie came out, we throw it over to you, Alex. 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. So the year was 1978 and the month was October. <laughs> so the first thing I found out about this month, I don't know if this is interesting news or not, but Australian Ken Warby set the current world water speed record of 317.6 miles per hour. With assisted vehicle or? Yeah. Yeah, he just ran. It was uh, like Daniel Radcliffe in <laughs> this <was> army, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ken Warby was been ridden by Paul Dana. The record is known as one of the most hazardous competitions, and two official attempts to beat the record have resulted in the death of the driver. Oh, I think I might have heard of one of those. I watched a documentary about one of those deaths. So it still, it still actually is the record today, weirdly enough. So, interesting fact for you there. Cheers. <laughs> Summer Nights by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John from Greece was number one in the charts in the UK at the time. But the film had actually been released back in June, which shows like the... <laughs> the lasting power of this musical yeah my god <laughs> so like three or four months later and it was still number one the british pop magazine smash hits was first published r.i.p did anyone actually have those it was like their like match magazine yeah. you know, the football magazine that was like terrible i think they started to sort of wean out by the time i was a kid there was a music channel as well wasn't there a smash hits music channel yeah that's right yeah yeah. Oh, yeah at one point that. yeah like somewhere wedged between like the box and kisser <laughs> Kiss the box yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TMF, MTV, Scuzz, Kerrang, you know, the classics. Magic. Magic, of course. Country yeah. Hits Radio. Country <laughs> Hits Radio, that's probably still there somewhere. <laughs> Can never die. Country just keeps getting stronger. Another interesting fact for you, Sid Vicious was charged with the murder of Nancy Spongen, which would later oh, so be depicted in the film Sid and Nancy, starring Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb. Have you seen that film? I have not. I have not. I have. It's uh, it's It's all right. <laughs> that's what I say about it. I think I think it has like a lot a lot of people sort of like it's got a bit of a cult following, but I don't remember it being great when okay. I watched it. I don't think he was actually charged. It, well, he was charged with the murder, but I don't think he was convicted. Died a few months later, maybe. Said vicious, this is not Gary Oldman. He would say he's still going strong. <laughs> there was a couple of famous births in the October nineteen seventy eight. Two two very different people. Usher, yeah, oh, great, and CM yeah. Punk, the wrestler. <laughs> Both iconic in their own way. Both iconic in their own way. Uh, yeah, I think I think one slightly <laughs> one slightly more than the other. You two still find a way to wean wrestling into it this podcast. It does come up a lot, doesn't it? But yeah. I, I feel like it, it, whenever I go on Wikipedia looking for births, it always mentions wrestlers. It's big data. It's all like you, all of your sort of cookies on your computer are just bringing you up <laughs> wrestling pop-ups. You don't think it's the fact that wrestling fans are the most likely to try update stats and uh, um, yeah, probably true, actually, yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Wikipedia pages are probably like so dead on. Final bit of news. So a couple of films that were released in the same month that were possibly a bit more famous and watched down. Halloween. Yeah, great film. And Midnight Express, which is actually kind of relevant to this week because director Alan Parker died a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, No, I didn't. But he also directed Bugsy Malone and Fame and Pink Floyd's The Wall, The Commitments, Evita, Mississippi Burning. It's quite a track record of great films. (laughs) Yeah, that's quite a list. Yeah, isn't it? Going from like Midnight Express and Mississippi Burning to Fame. Yeah, it's quite weird. I think think Bugsy Malone was his first feature film. And then a couple of years later, he did Midnight Express, which was his second. <laughs> so wow, I yeah, couldn't get more to two different films. And then, like, I think there was a couple of musicals in a row of fame, The Wall, and Evita. And then there isn't many more films. That's the weird thing. It's kind of, these are the films. So most of the ones that he's directed, you've heard of. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, another film released in that year and that month was Warship Down. Do you want a bit of a synopsis of the film? I'm sure most people have seen it. Have, you, have you two seen it, actually? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Get your opinion in a second, but I'll read a quick synopsis. So Watch It Down is a 1978 British animated adventure film based on the 1972 novel of the same name by Richard Adams. It's set in southern England. The story follows a group of anthropologists 
anthropomorphized rabbits. I knew I was going to mess up that word. <laughs> Sleepless nights relics. Yeah. Anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized. He's just saying it in the window like Candyman. I've got it sort of like uh, in sections on the fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anthropomorphized rabbits who possess their own culture, language and mythology as they escape the destruction of their warren in search of a new home. So you have both seen it. What did you both think? So I watched it recently, but I feel like I watched it as a child and didn't like it. As in, didn't enjoy it in the sense that I was scared. <laughs> However, I can't tell if that is actually a real memory, or if I've heard so many people have this memory of, oh, I was, yeah, I was traumatized by this film as a kid. I had so many nightmares that I now think that happened to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those, what, what do they call it? It's like a syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to remember it now. It's though. like Nelson Mandela like, syndrome or something. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's like a cultural memory thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a false memory almost. <laughs> but I, I watched it more recently, as in, in preparation for this, and I thought the film was rubbish. I really did not like it. You thought it was rubbish? Yeah, it just it just wasn't a good movie, and it was animated horribly, uh, the sound was all off. Uh, it probably doesn't help that I'm currently in the midst of doing a run-through of all the Disney animated classics that have like these incredible animation qualities, say it's like the 1950s. Then you go to this later on, and it looks like <laughs> somebody drawing each cell. It wasn't aware what the previous cell looked like. <laughs> But do you think that adds an endearing quality? No. <laughs> Not at all. That's the words of a mother really trying to love their son. It's okay, it's okay. It's doing all right. How about you, Ben? Was your uh, opinion as uh, <laughs> scathing as teachings? No, but I do agree. Some, like I think the, the watercolour backgrounds are beautiful, but yes, some of the actual animation on the foreground is pr- is a bit jumpy. And like the the dialogue is because it's so British and it's so quipped, it's it just it's almost laughable. It's kind of how you mock British language now. <laughs> but as for like its renown in film and film history, it's it's huge. Watching it again, I watched it last week. There is lots of things I find really interesting about it. And for someone who's not read the book, and I'm I'm assuming you have, Alex. No, I actually haven't. No. Have you not? No. No. Uh, well, yeah. I guess it's just that this building of like a, a mythos. <laughs> Thanks for asking, Ben. I guess I just assume Alex is the literary guy. Cheers. I watched John Wick this week. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, well, I do associate you as the John Wick guy. <laughs> I've never even seen it before this week. <laughs> Carry on. Um, so, yeah, I like bits about it, but I think I like studying it than actually watching it. Yeah. Based on the criticisms that you guys have, why do you think it has endured in the way that it has? Because it is heavily layered. I mean, it's one of those films where you, you know it'll have sort of a deeper meaning and understanding of what's going on in the film and book. But I think, like Dee said, in culture, especially British culture, it is that film that traumatized kids. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why it's endured. Yeah. Should we think about that a bit actually? Because I've got a few notes on that. So the film was rated U in the UK, despite the fact that there is like a lot of gore and in in particular a lot of blood. <laughs> <laughs> there's like rivers of blood, there's blood coming out of, of, of small fluffy bunny rabbits. There's a snaring which actually was used on the poster. Throats torn out. Doesn't doesn't the seagull say piss off as well? It does say yeah, yeah. at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean how do you miss that? So it's interesting. So in nineteen seventy eight there actually wasn't a PG or a twelve rating available. Okay. Okay. So the film had to either be a U or a fifteen, which kind of explains why it's a Is U, although happens? maybe it should have been a fifteen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I honestly think it would. Yeah, it's interesting as well that it was given to you because the director, Michael Rosen, said he didn't make the film for kids. No. So I just mentioned before that the poster that was used uh, to advertise the film features one of the rabbits being snared. I think it's Bigwig. Yeah. And he said it was an intentional choice to show to parents that the film, as he put it, wasn't for little Charlie. <laughs> 
the most common British name of the time. <laughs> but yet, apparently, according to the BBFC, who are the board for rating films in this country, if it was released tomorrow, it would be a PG, <laughs> but only a PG. And they also admitted that they've received complaints about the rating almost every year since it was classified. Wow. Unsurprising based on the content. It, not, nothing about it tells me it's for kids, other than the fact that it's in its drawn, it's animation. Yeah. That's yeah, it. but I suppose it is the rating. Like, you look at a U-rated film about rabbits living in the English countryside, yeah. you don't assume that there will be so much existentiality or, like, uh, focus on morality or mortality. Yes. There's just so much of this going on that you just you wouldn't expect it. And I think, I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple of years ago on Easter Sunday, Channel 5 showed it at 2.25. It got like a massive amount of complaints. Yep. Are we sure they weren't complaining that Home and Away wasn't on? <laughs> well, it was Easter Sunday, so maybe in Norway. If on a regular day, imagine. People just assumed that that's what that's what the complaints were about about uh, about all the death really? and uh, blood, but it was actually so Home and Away wasn't on. But even if the film was a PG, do you think that children should be exposed to films like this? Uh, no, personally. I think there's films that touch upon those subjects in a lighter, more appropriate way. Yeah. That, you know, and like, you know, Disney's never sort of hidden away from that. There's often sort of quite traumatic origin stories for a lot of their protagonists. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all from the start, from, yeah, Bambi, you know, Pinocchio, Dumbo, they're all yeah. very disturbing in elements, but they're still light enough around it that helps package it for kids so that you can still get that message that needs to be transferred and like modern films, you know, look like, oh, the emotional sort of starting of that. Yeah. It just balances it out, right? And whereas I think Watership Down is unapologetically an adult film. Yeah, it's, um, although, as I mentioned before, Rose and the director sort of he's never said it was for kids, but when no. it was, uh, when everyone started going crazy about the film. So this is a quote. I remember talking to the censors in Sweden and saying, is there something about death you don't want children to know about? It's going to happen to us all. <laughs> Does he have kids? <laughs> I mean, my gosh, this, that is a dark sort of twisted way of viewing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, it's the same reason why children are given pets to teach them morality. Yeah, it's interesting how Disney do it and how <laughs> Rosen in this example just did it the complete opposite way. Unabashedly just throwing death in the faces of children. We've talked about the film a bit, so we'll talk about the song, which was Bright Eyes, which was written by Mike Batt, who is also known for creating the Wombles pop act. And also wow, discovering amazing. Katie Malua. Wow. And I thought that's a fact, it's a thing we can't deny. Oh. Brilliant. After that. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> the song was performed by Art Garfunkel, and the single was released in January 1979, so it was actually released a few months later. And it featured on Garfunkel's album, which has possibly the greatest album name of all time, Fate for Breakfast. <laughs> Is it the one with a picture of his Morgan receding afro? I don't actually know what it looks like. But <laughs> I'm, I'm guaranteed they will have his face with a receding afro on it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he, need to sh- he needed to shave his head. It's his signature look, though. They were the one with um, him and Paul Simon, where he, Paul Simon's just tiny and he's just looming over him with this sort of like albino yeah. fro. That's the a Bridge Over Trouble War yeah. album cover. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was the highest selling single in the UK of 1979. Wow. Before we sort of speak about where the song features in the film, do we have any sort of initial opinions about the song? Did you prefer it to the film, T? Yeah, I guess I did. I do find it hard to uncouple the song from flashes of potentially fake childhood memories of uh, rabbits being attacked and poorly drawn blood everywhere. <laughs> but it is a, a beautifully sang song. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's amazing. I don't know if it's, like, lyrically, and you might know this better than me, Alec, but the sort of the themes that quite 
couple close with the film when he talks about like morality, mortality and things like this. That scene, just the feeling of the song almost gets that across better for me on an emotional level. Like mm-hmm. I feel that sort of more and I feel more engrossed in the music of it and like his sort of wistful voice. And like when I was watching it again just before we started on YouTube, I'm looking through the comments and there's a lot of condolences and messages for like lost loved ones. And it seems to be almost like tied to that. So um song features in the scene where Fiverr, who is the brother of Hazel, but he's led by Trippy Vision of the Black Rabbit, who is supposed to be a leader to death to a wounded Hazel, who has been shot in the leg by a farmer. So I think my first note on this actually was the scene itself. I think a lot of people, and I think certainly before I watched it last time, assumed that this song and this scene featured a moment where one of the main rabbits dies. Yeah, The song, it seems to be specifically about death. It seems like his tie is actually to death when in the scene itself no rabbit dies because Hazel yeah. actually doesn't die. And it's interesting because Richard Adams hated the song. So Richard Adams is the original author <laughs> of the novel. I think this happens a lot. No yeah. one's ever really gushing like, oh, I loved it. It's always, I hated it. <laughs> or, or, yeah, it was okay. But Bat recalled, who is the producer of the song, recalled that Adams in an interview with Terry Wogan, who's coming up again, <laughs> another mention for the Wogan, said the song was about death, which was wrong factually because Hazel is not dead. Bat's retort is that if Adams read his own book, and I put in brackets lol there, <laughs> if he read his own book, <laughs> this song is about a moment in which Fiverr believes Hazel to be dead. But I think in actually in the film, Fiverr does say, I don't think he is dead, yeah, and follows the that, rabbit. He does. So I, it's, it's all a bit of up in the air, like as to what, <laughs> what is going on with this. But Bat, he seems like a bit of a uh, confrontational character himself, because he also fell out with both Art Garfunkel during the recording and the head of Columbia Records afterwards over the arrangement of the song. After the head of Columbia said he didn't like the string section, Bat said, that's all right, I'll go then. I'll take my song and you can get someone else to write a song. I walked out through the orchestra with my score in my hand and I drove off in my car. <laughs> Given the fact that it is, like you guys have sort of mentioned, it's sort of a smallish British production. So it's weird how they got someone as yeah. big and famous as Art Garfunkel involved. But it seems as though he was just literally sent the song and he, and he said it knocked him out. <laughs> Not physically. Oh, really? I mean, Mike Bat might have tried to do that later on, but <laughs> <laughs> so he was. <laughs> this is funny. He said then that his tone has a quasi-religious pop element that he knew would add mystery and create goosebumps. <laughs> Imagine it's... describing your own voice as quasi-religious. <laughs> I think we found the new description for our podcast. Quasi-religious. Yeah, quasi-religious. That's a quasi-religious pop element. <laughs> Somebody leave us a five-star review saying that. Yeah. <laughs> When I was looking at the um, footage and stuff about Watership Down on YouTube and mainly looking at whether I should buy the Criterion release, <laughs> I saw an interview with Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. So um, <laughs> he was saying how influential Watership Down was on him early in his life. Even though he's mostly known for obviously live action, he's quite into animation and a lot of sort of like monster character design and things like this, obviously, are where mm-hmm. most of his films. I think he said he saw it first at the age of 13. And it kind of opened him up to an understanding that animation wasn't just for kids. And even though he there was an awareness of there was other examples out there, that was the first that really sort of gripped him. And it's interesting because I was just trying to think of like like adult animation has always been shunned. And yeah. often when I, when you say adult animation, when you talk really early, talking 1970s, 
uh, late 1960s, like Ralph Bakshi. Have you heard? No. So you probably heard of some of it. I mean, he did a he did a film called Fritz the Cat, which was quite very sort of famous based on a comic strip, which was very sort of adult orientated. Um, he also directed the Lord of the Rings animated film. Yeah, well, that was one of the ones that this kind of reminds me of. <laughs> it's a very similar style. Yeah, that was when he kind of went a bit more relaxed. He said he didn't want to spend his life in a room of adult men drawing butterflies. <laughs> He, you know, he said that like, animation could have a another way of transmitting a story, but I feel like Watch It Down almost sits in the middle of that. Some of the films that he did early on were very sort of okay. This is obviously an adult film. It's talking about sex, drugs, race. You know, all these sort of like very risky, risky sort of conversations. Whereas Watch It Down and maybe films like Animal Farm, they're not adult in necessarily in their content is graphic, just kind of a lot more layered than animated films are usually. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of Disney films seem to be, you know, there's often this thing of like, oh, it's great for the whole family. Kids enjoy it for the characters, the colours, and there's a deeper message that adults grasp and, you know, kids yeah. might not get until they're... Or sassy asides. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, <much>. yeah. <laughs> Does Warship Down kind of sit in that middle? I think it just really isn't for kids, is it? There's nothing really there for them, I don't think, except for maybe there's like the, the, the idea that there's rabbits running around in fields and stuff. Yeah, all the pretty rabbits. I think a lot of, with a lot of films, like kids don't really understand the jokes that are in there, but they sort of understand the rhythm of the the dialogue. Like there's a way yes. that it's written that sort of allows them in on a joke that they don't really understand, so they can still enjoy it. Whereas there's nothing like that with this film. There's no there's no real humor except for the uh, the uh, pet. Oh, I can't remember what, what his name is, Kara or something. The the bird. He's the comic relief in the film. But other than that, there isn't really any. Is there? It's just a very serious film. And I think that that's why it's not for kids. You could argue that the themes are universal, like things like death, but they don't do it in a way that a child would enjoy <laughs> or can really understand. It's yeah. like it's very blunt, isn't it? Which, it, which in in some ways is its you know its greatest quality. That's really interesting, though. I think when you talked about the accessible dialogue for sort of heavier motifs and themes, that's probably a lot more common in Disney films. Yeah, and yeah, the uh, the John Hurt, his voice doesn't exactly lend to uh, the ears of a seven year old. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen Animal Farm. Yeah, I caught half of that not long ago, actually during lockdown, like near towards the beginning during lockdown. <laughs> I don't think it's as good as Warship Down, but I don't think the story of Animal Farm is as good personally. It's not as, um... but I find that with a lot of George Orwell stuff. I think there's because it's an allegory. It's kind of. It's more focused on that than actually creating something that's really engaging to watch or to read um, as a narrative. I think in terms of its message, it does have important things to say, but I don't. And it's not as not as gruesome as as uh, as Watership Down. There's not there's not as much blood. There's not as much violence. It's yes. there are animals that die within it, but it's not as like it's not as cruel as the in a way as the world as Watership Down. No. Definitely not. Also, the front cover of the DVD, because I've got it, looks a lot more like a, a U-rated film, whereas, like you said, yeah. Warship Down, it's not. It's a, it's a rabbit in a snare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not hiding it. Exactly, yeah. And I don't think that Animal Farm is hiding it necessarily, but I just think that it's... The, the point of the subject matter is that it's hidden, whereas, yeah, with, um, with Warship Down, it's not. <laughs> the book, I think, is the same. I haven't read it, but I have read about it. I think the film is quite... An, a fair portrayal of how the book is as well. I think that's maybe the difference. It's not. It's not trying in any way to be a children's film, and that's what the director Rosen said. He, he never intended it to be that way. 
And yeah. so he he wouldn't make he wouldn't do what Disney do and sort of try and mask it or try and dress it up in a in a comical way. He just didn't think it was necessary. But I think it was his first ever film that he was involved in. He okay. wasn't he ended up sort of directing it by chance. He originally got someone who was quite big in animation at the time, but I can't remember the name. Walt Disney. Walt Disney <laughs> to uh, he originally to sort of direct the drawing and the animation. But he eventually took over because the other guy quit midway through. Really? So yeah, I think that maybe explains why it's a bit jumpy D and why maybe bits aren't quite <laughs> clean enough um, for a yeah. normal audience. So I think, yeah, that maybe explains that way. I-, I swear I read somewhere, though, that Adam said that it was originally, as in the book, like he'd read it to his kids. I think it was a story while he was driving them to work, uh, to school or taking them to school. He sort of came up with this little idea and they wanted him to come up with a story and this is what he came up with. Maybe the book, is, I don't, like I say, I've not read it, but maybe it is a bit more child-friendly. I don't think it's like, I think it's probably more like young adult age, you know, like teenage. Yes, yes. But, I mean, the other film in terms of that, you mentioned The Lord of the Rings. One, the other one it reminds me of is that Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe cartoon. Have you guys seen that? I don't know if I've seen No, I don't think I have. Which is also quite brutal in some instances, which you wouldn't expect if you've seen the newer film version, like the Tilda Swinton and Liam Neeson film version. There's like a really horrific scene where, where Aslan sacrifices himself. Yes. As, as a la Jesus. <laughs> but in the cartoon, it's horrible. Like, they're, like, lashing him with ropes and tying him down to this yeah. table. It's like, it's, yeah, it's quite... It does remind me a lot of that, actually. I did notice that the film was, like, entered in a couple of lists. Total film then watched down the 47th greatest British film of all time. D, you probably wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> Based on your assessment earlier. No, but that's not to say that I have 46 more that I can think of top <laughs> of my head. Top of head. <laughs> yeah, do it now, Dietrich. Name them. Okay, right, we got um, Thunderpants. <laughs> um, Every film starring Rupert The Inbetweeners 2. <laughs> Are you trying to think of the worst British films to emphasise your point? Well, The Inbetweeners 2, isn't that the, that the most successful British film of all time? Or British uh, comedy yeah, of all time? You might, you might Is it right, really? actually. I think I did hear, I do remember that, hearing that. It was also on, uh, I don't know where, the, where this list is, parenthesised 100 Grace Tearjerkers, and it was ranked number 15. Do you think it's a tearjerker? I can see why maybe people would think that, not really having watched it recently. I could get emotional listening to Bright Eyes. And yeah. Like some sort of Fantasia-esque sort of scene, because of how, like, it's kind of just like the mythology element of it kind of just taking over. There's no particular dialogue, it's just the song. And it's just kind of colours and the shapes of rabbits running around. Yeah, we didn't talk about it too much earlier, did we? But yeah, it's very, it's very trippy. It's very trippy. And, but I find that quite emotional, I don't know why. Yeah, I think it's sort of there's a, there's a really good bit where Fiverr, who's looking for Hazel, is like stood underneath a electrical pylon, and it's yes, kind of is, like yeah. waving. I think actually in terms of the animation, I know you've criticised it, D, and it, there are definitely points where <laughs> where it deserves criticism, but I think this section is probably the strongest part of the film, maybe because it is just so abstract. I think because it's not foreground background animation, like usually in like old animation, they'd have like four or five set blocks where you'd animate yeah. and move them. Yeah. Whereas I think at the montage is just one. Whereas often it's the rabbits that look dodgily animated and the background and the watercolor looks yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and I, th- I think yeah, I think probably maybe because of that reason, this is the strongest bit, and it might be because of the song as well, and it's the part that everybody remembers. It does get your emotions up a little bit. But Ben, uh, you've compiled a list as well, have you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's the most important list, of course. Ben's list of the week. <laughs> my, yes, so this is a new feature because I love lists. Do you want background music for this segment? I'm going to, yes, we need, we need to okay. find music. I don't know what music's going to be, but it's going to start now. There you go. Thank you, music. 
So, you've covered a lot of interesting points there, Alex. You've given us a lot of insight, details, knowledge. We're all thankful for it, and I know the listeners are as well. But there's there's one thing you've not covered. And <laughs> yes, I, I hear that in the audience. He has not covered it. So, in the film, we've got these anthropomorphized rabbits. We've got Fiverr, Hazel, Bigwig, General Woundwort. But I ask you guys, are these the most famous cinematic rabbits? So here is the top five. Oh, can we get? I think. No, you get get you get guesses. Yeah, we get guesses. I've got you get guesses. I've also got narrow missed out. Who's going first? Does a bunny count as a rabbit? Is there a? I'll let you. Yeah, there's 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 a definite sort of arbitrary (laughs) connection to some of these. So okay, I've got I've got a guess. Go on. Eminem in Eight Mile. It should be. It should be in there. Be rabbit. It should be in there. The list is pointless now. It's failed already. I love that. It's not on there, but that's brilliant. I mean, I think the obvious one is probably Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit at number two. Yeah. Um, Bugs Bunny or Lola. Nah, Bunny I'd say I'd say Bugs Bunny is more of a. I think it was more of a cartoon rather than a film. Okay, right. I was thinking maybe the what's the name of the rabbit from Donnie Dark? <laughs> what's his name? Frank. Frank is in there at number five. <laughs> The other one that's really in my mind, which is similar to Frank, is the one from the second Bill and Ted film. Do you remember the, uh, it's like a blue rabbit in like Bill's nightmare. This isn't on the list, is it? <laughs> <laughs> How can you tell? The, the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland? The, oh, yeah, the, white, the white rabbit. Oh, well, there's two. Just missed, it's, it's the just white missed rabbit. out. Just missed out. The white rabbit as well. Just missed out. Just Not a fan of that. Are, they, are any of them just like actual rabbits? <laughs> what do you mean? Just <laughs> the rabbit? No, like I, did, I did have a, an honourable mention uh, for the rabbit from Faithful Attraction. I don't know that one. <laughs> it's the one that gets cooked because it spawned the two. Oh, bunny boiler, of course, yeah. Um, so you, you've got Frank and you've got Roger. Yeah, God. So you've got two animated rabbits in here, and then one imaginary rabbit. Um, the one from uh, the film Hop. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. You, you you get kicked from the podcast for even mentioning that film. That's an offence to this lupine list. <laughs> oh, a Thumper. Thumper, Thumper, yeah, go on. Thumper, Thumper number one. I'll put Thumper in number one. Classic. I think you're going to need to give us the other ones. Okay. Yeah. So, the other one, uh, I've got Judy Hopps from the film Zootropolis. Oh, yeah. Zootopia, depending on which where are you from. Number three, I have the rabbit from the Holy Grail. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I do not get that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So, we've got number one, Thumper. Number two, Roger Rabbit. Number three, Judy Hopps. Number four, the rabbit from Holy Grail. I think it's got some sort of weird name. And number five, Frank. It's honourable like mentions. <laughs> the only other honourable mention that you've not mentioned is Harvey, the imaginary rabbit from the film Harvey, starring Jimmy Stewart, which I think is inspiration for Frank, for Frank from Donnie Darko. And that's my list. It's pretty good. That's how you bring the level down for this podcast. <laughs> I like the lists. <laughs> Background music ends now. Thank you, music. You okay, so now it's time for the ultimate question. Movie or song, Alex? Oh, no. I wasn't expecting you to throw it to me first. Um, really? Ooh. <laughs> okay, Ben. I mean, from it's difficult. I think as much as I probably prefer the song, just how it stands in relation to film history, I think it has to stay. You know, can't just get rid of all the trauma in our lives. You can watch Return to Us instead. I don't think I've ever seen Return to Us. <laughs> you, what? what? You need I don't to think see. I've ever seen Return to Us. Return to Us, Ben. It is literally the weirdest film of all time, but in a great way. It's on Disney Plus. But yeah, I just think the film needs to continue on. It has it has a greater role than just what's going on in the in the film. Animation can have adult themes. The controversy, I think, films with controversy is always interesting. 
and acts as an understanding of where social politics was at the time. And I think films that had a role in that should stay. All very eloquent points you've made there, Ben. But I'm <laughs> voting for the song. <laughs> Simple. <as that. laughs> I, I am actually going to go with Ben and Ju's film. Sorry, Dean. I do think the scene with the song is probably almost the film's greatest achievement, in a way, in terms of how it hits on an emotional level. I just think for everything that the film represents, in terms of... basically, I mean, I can't really say it any better than how Ben said it. And I think actually it's probably the best way to depict this story as well is through the medium that they used. And I don't know. I, I don't really know what else to say, but I just I just think the film is uh, needs to stick around. So Art Garfunkel goes in the bin? Yeah, by Art. <laughs> I always preferred Paul. <laughs> well, it, it means as well that Paul Simon's cameo in Annie Hall doesn't have to disappear and it shouldn't ever be stricken from the record <laughs> because it's hilarious. <laughs> so with that ding, we come to the end of another episode of that song from that movie. Why not post this in the uh, Simon and Garfunkel subreddit? I'm still love it. <laughs> is, that, is there an actual? I just come to accept there's a subreddit for everything, or maybe even the Murdered Rabbit subreddit. I'm sure they'll love this. Yep. Or yeah. the, probably, yeah. probably they're like they're like Bayes tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, the quasi-religious media subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, the Twitter handle is Alex. Oh. Uh... <laughs> T S F T M Pod. How is it slow? Right. So slow when you were at the end. I get why it's slow at the start. I was thinking, it was but you can't go T S F T M. I got lost midway through. <laughs> you don't have bright eyes today, Alex. No. So all through now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye and goodbye from Alex. I'm about to go have a breakfast of a full English of fate, destiny, and providence with a side of predestination on toast. Delicious. Classic Sunday for Alex, yeah. Yep. And goodbye from Ben. Goodbye, dear you crack brain slave driver. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all true. <laughs> so goodbye everybody. <laughs> Bye. 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 Don't stretch that out. <laughs>